know, Hannah Montana, it was the, the Disney series that made Miley Cyrus famous. Incredible, really. I mean, that song, The Best of Both Worlds, and then The Climb, and it really launched her massively into the teen idol status, quite almost overnight. But now, when her video of Wrecking Ball comes on, I turn it off. That's a massive change, isn't it, from, from Hannah Montana to Naked on a Wrecking Ball. As one secular music reviewer said, while most critics agree that the video is beautifully shot, very nice cinematography, it also pushes too far in the direction of crass sexuality. It's interesting, that's that's not a Christian reviewer, that's just a secular reviewer saying it's beautiful in lots of ways, but it just somehow has gone too far. Now, from Hannah Montana to Naked on a Wrecking Ball, by the way, my um, for those, I know there's a few duchies here, yes, is that true? I've got a very good friend in Sydney called Jazz, and um, when she heard I was doing this, she said, are they organising a, rock, a wrecking ball so that you can just sort of um, come in on that? I said, we don't want a whole room of women vomiting and sort of screaming and leaving the room, but anyway. From Hannah Montana to Naked on a Wrecking Ball. You could say that is the price of teen fame. It's like the change in Justin Bieber. You could say that throwing millions, in fact hundreds of millions of dollars at teenagers is going to have its consequences. But you know, I think you could say that's a bit unfair. <laughs> because Miley, a bit like someone like Madonna, she's just reflecting what society wants. Although that reviewer does say it's crass sexuality, the reality is it doesn't work unless all of us want to watch it. And en masse on society, Wrecking Ball has gone crazy. So it's not a matter of just going, well, Miley, she's just sort of changed. But I think our whole society, in some ways, has had that change, that that is more and more what is wanting to be watched. You know, um, King's Cross in Sydney is um, the main uh, red light district. Obviously, the size of the city Sydney is, um, you know, you would have brothels in different parts of the of, of, of you know, suburbs, but there is a main um, part in the middle of the city called King's Cross and um, five years ago, my grandparents used to live there, near there, if you drove through the cross, you could pretty much easily pick the girls uh, who were working on the street there, the, the, the prostitutes. Um, you could tell it really by looking at their faces. I mean, it's such a terrible sort of um, life uh, that is theirs. But you could pretty much tell it by what they're wearing. Low cleavage, um, you know, really short shorts or skirt, fishnet stockings and high heels. But now, if you're driving through the cross and you see a girl dressed like that, she could be a teenager going to a party. The hooker look is now mainstream. That's the sort of stuff you just go looking for clothes for your teenager. You'll find a lot of those same elements in just mainstream fashion. Five years ago, it was a compliment, I think, to say someone was pretty. But increasingly, that's almost a sort of insult. What a preschool girl even wants to be known as or seen at is hot. That is language that increasingly teaches. If you talk about, especially in, maybe not in a Christian school setting, but in your secular, just normal preschools, primary schools, increasingly little girls use that language. What is seen as, as you know, what you want to be is hot. In fact, they did a study with... Um, uh, some very young girls, I think sort of early primary school, and they had uh, two Barbie dolls. 
And one Barbie doll had your classic... She just looked really pretty. I mean, we're talking about the same bone structure, you know, the same Barbie, right? One just had nice, attractive sort of clothes on. The other one had more the sort of hooker look, sort of, you know, really short. And they asked these young girls which Barbie they thought was more attractive. Do you know which one most of them chose? You see, the way the world sees sexuality and, and feminine, it actually does have an effect. And I think generationally, as we is actually increasingly having quite a devastating effect on younger and younger girls. Well, into our Miley Cyrus world, the Apostle Paul says this. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. I want women to dress modestly. What does he mean? Is the Apostle Paul saying, I want women to dress boringly? Is there some sort of Christian uniform we're all meant to dress? What does he mean? Is he saying, bring back socks and sandals? (laughs) What exactly is dressing modestly? By the way, I was... um, (laughs) I was somewhere the other day and there was a magazine, no kidding, a new fashion trend is socks and sandals, but anyway. You know what I mean, traditional socks and sandals. Okay, what is dressing modestly? And more important, I think, why does it matter? I want you to spend about two minutes chatting to the person next to you and we'll see if there's a few brave people. that. But just those two questions, what is it? Like, what does Paul mean, dressing modestly? And why does it matter? Okay, two minutes, and then a few brave people can tell us what they think. Okay. Maybe a few brave people. So, okay, those two questions. What is it and and what does it matter? A couple of people want to have a go? We decided it was relative. Like the Mennonites, they consider their bodies to be relative to the women's bodies. Yep. 
So there's an element of, you know, if you wear a swimming costume at the beach, yeah? But if I was wearing a swimming costume right here now, you'd be thinking, whoa, something a bit wrong, okay? <laughs> For many reasons, but anyway. Um, there is a sense of that, and although, interesting, the, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to dress modestly. So somehow you have to be able to work it out, but yes, I mean, obviously there is a sort of cultural expression of it, so which would mean there's not some sort of just uniform. Um, did you, any comments on why it matters? Yeah, okay, so it can objectify women. So when you increasingly, in a way that's just saying, here's my sexuality, just give it to you, out to the world, there's something lost in terms of just the dignity of a woman. Um, Okay? Thank you. It makes them vulnerable, absolutely. I mean, you can see that, absolutely. I mean, the women I'm talking about, King's Cross at the extreme, who, for whatever's happened in life, are now, you know... It's their livelihood. I mean, that's the extreme of your body now being used completely as an object and not having the dignity of, of what it is to be, uh, uh, you know, treated as a woman. Anyone got uh, sort of another idea of what dressing modestly is and why it matters? Thank you. So there's a connection. I'm going to come to that about enhancing mission. So it's something to do with, yeah, if I'm, if I'm a Christian person, then actually how I... There, there is a message that comes by actually how I dress as well as what I say. Yeah, thanks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's something about there's an appropriateness to how you look, but it's not either sexually sort of, you know, out it goes or somehow, you know, flaunting something, like inappropriately just saying, you know, look at me, this is the, you know, spotlight, sort of here's the attention. Um, Okay, so point two on your outline, what is dressing modestly? Um, If you just look up wiki, you would find out that modesty is a mode of dress and deportment. So it's saying it's a bit more than just physically what's on, but maybe how I'm actually acting as well. Those things can be connected. Uh, intended to avoid encouraging sexual attraction in others. It's actually a complicated definition because it's saying I want to avoid encouraging something. But I think what it's saying is there's a sort of carefulness in order to, in this case, avoid um, you know, some, somehow inappropriate sexual attraction that you're sort of putting forward. Um, C.J. Mahaney, who's a Christian writer who's written a great book on humility, um, he says this, a little bit broader, modesty is humility expressed in dress. He says it's a desire to serve others, particularly men, by not promoting or provoking sensuality. So he's still going that sort of this sense that there is something about it in terms of uh, an inappropriate sexuality but there's something a bit bigger to it, humility expressed in dress, something about our heart being expressed in the way we look. Now, I want to say, if you've grown up in a Christian family, that you may well dressed modestly without really thinking about it because I think it's sort of, it's like learning language. It's just something that you tend to model off those around you. And if you've been a Christian a long time, even decades in a church, you probably 
Like the Miley Cyrus thing's not that attractive necessarily to you. You're just, you probably dress modestly without really thinking about it. Uh, I know the youth group leaders at my church would say we've got kids from both Christian school and, you know, state school, and they reckon that the kids at the Christian school have probably got a two-year buffer on the others. That's in terms of alcohol, um, illicit drug use, in terms of just what they're exposed to, and I think it's the true with things like probably the whole issue of dress and modesty. There's less pressures... um, uh, there's a buffer. Like they reckon that, say, with alcohol, by about year 11, everyone's got to work out at parties. If you go to, you know, sort of peer group parties, what you're going to do with that? But at my local state school, and one of my sons is, it it could be year nine, year eight, that that sort of stuff presents. So I want to say, if you're, you know, coming from a Christian school, maybe you're thinking again, you know, the whole Miley Cyrus thing's not that attractive. But I think for a classic kid in a state school, there's a lot of that around them uh, in the air they breathe. Example. My son um, had a, I would call it a party, but he calls it a gatho, which means it's just sort of, you know, people come round and I, there's no bouncer because it wasn't a party, but, you know, oh gosh, there's quite a lot of people in our garage now. Anyway, lots of friends around. This is local state school. Not that many Christians in his year group. And uh, there's girls and guys there. He's sort of towards the end of high school. And at one point, um, one of the girls um, came inside and we had another couple, a um, non-Christian couple from uh, related to school around having a barbecue with my husband and I. So the four of us are sitting there, kids are out in the garage, and um, this girl comes in. And we're going, whoa, like as in what she was wearing, like she's a beautiful girl, but wow, like short as, like yeah, the whole look, you know, like there was not much being covered. But this is an interesting thing. She then came over and she basically sat on the sofa, introduced herself to my husband, and he said later, she was flirting with me. Like, not that she, I mean, she likes probably my son, but not that she was overtly somehow wanting a relationship with James, but there is something learned about how you relate to men, and that whole taking on of this is how I dress actually is connected to more of how I see myself and men and women, and this girl, lovely girl, year 11, had already learnt, I think, to consciously promote and provoke sensuality without even realising it. So I think those of you who don't have a struggle with this, you think, well, praise God that I've had modelled to me a different way of relating, but the world that we're in is increasingly going this direction. And if you have someone come to your church, like a kid comes to youth group who's unchurched, she may well feel this a little bit more strongly than some of you are feeling today. I think in a Miley Cyrus world, modesty is increasingly weird. And girls are taught to encourage sexual attraction and intentionally promote and provoke their sensuality. Like, flaunt what you've got, you know? Like, make the, if you've got... And that's increasingly um, what is happening. Now, someone told me that a friend that... She reckons in Launceston, she's lived in both Sydney and Launceston, she reckons that maybe you guys as a city have a little bit of a buffer as well. So you don't have quite the same billboards and stuff that we're seeing all the time of the Miley Cyrus look just way in our, in our headspace. So again, praise God if you don't feel it as potently, but again, it's in the world and with our kids increasingly like, just, hey, we spend a lot of time online, so it doesn't matter where you live, that world is a click away anyway in terms of our potential headspace. Okay, point three on your outline. Why does modesty matter? Because I think increasingly in our world, it's not a matter of just going, okay, Christians should be modest and then come up with our little sort of rules of what that might look like, which sometimes we do in youth group without realising it, we start going, you know, this is what the Christian girl's meant to wear. The much more important question is, why does it matter? And if we don't get that right, we'll breed legalism if we're not careful, okay? 
and we'll accidentally judge people who don't wear what we wear. <laughs> so very important, we're very clear on why it matters and then let that express itself. So I think there's three main reasons why it matters and these are in order of importance. So you notice that, that quote from um, um, the Mahaney one said, we want to serve others, particularly men, by not doing this and I think sometimes when we talk about modesty too quickly we say, in youth group settings maybe, because this will help the guys. You dress, you know, you let it all out, that's really unhelpful for the guys. You are careful, that's actually much more helpful for your Christian brothers. Now, I'm going to say that's true, but it's my third reason, not my first. Okay? So my first reason that I think where we have to start is the reason we dress modestly is to honour God. So a passage we're doing at Equip this year, so I've been thinking a bit about it. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you receive from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Now, this is interesting. Because I tend to think we think, you know, yes, I'm God's person and, you know, my mind and my soul, my spirit, but actually to think physically me, my body, all of this, right, belongs to God. In a very helpful way. The world is telling us, your body, your choice. And obviously that's increased, you know, that's in terms of ethical decisions, but even just it's your body. You, you do with it what you want. It's yours. This said, no, 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 you were bought at a price. Honour God with your body. And hence the primary reason that we would even think twice about, okay, what am I wearing and why, is because we belong to God. We want to honour him. Now, controversially, I think... I can't find you a verse for this, but just I do think it might affect how we think about tattoos and piercings. I mean, I've got my ears pierced. I'm not, I'm, but I'm just saying, I'm not saying those things are necessarily wrong. Please don't hear me saying that. But, you know, the butterfly, right? There's, there can be things that go with tattooing and maybe where you tattoo or the extent of the tattooing. Or I just think instead of saying, it's my body and if I want to pierce, if I want to tattoo, if I want to do anything to it, it's mine, right? That is not a Christian worldview. I belong to God. And so as I just make decisions about my body, I'm just thinking, is this going to honour God in my situation? Now, what the, the, what the Bible does explicitly talk about is how we dress. I want you to dress modestly. So it does say what we, this thing is absolutely asked, God asks us to actually consider that in terms of honouring him. There was a... Um, a Christian conference in the States and it was called Back to Eden and uh, it was a church conference and they um, ran it at a nudist colony. <laughs> and, uh, now, oh, this is funny really because they're going, well, let's go way back to Garden of Eden, you know, hey, it was... It... But of course that's silly because in the story, we we're forgetting where we're up to in the story, yes, the original story was naked without shame in that garden but after the fall... You doesn't matter who you are you're naked with shame as in we're fallen people in the way we relate to everything is touched by the fall and God graciously protected um, Adam and Eve by providing clothes it was God's protection and so for us to think somehow well let's go back to the naked thing it's just no 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 God gave us clothes for a reason given the fall Um, so clothes are not some sort of cultural invention definitely God's protection In fact, John Piper says this, he says, taking your clothes off, obviously except in a sort of marriage context, 
does not put you back into pre-fall paradise. It actually puts you into post-fall shame. So this time of where we are in history, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. You can postulate about that. I don't know, we're naked again, but who knows? But where we are now, okay, clothes are a protection, uh, in terms of the holistic protection from God and um, for who we are, is it's, we couldn't relate. We could not all be naked now and actually uh, relate um, in a healthy way. So we honour God by dressing modestly. Secondly, dressing modestly enhances mission which has already been mentioned, we're God's ambassadors. So C.J. Mahaney says, the woman who loves the saviour avoids immodesty because she doesn't want to distract from or reflect, reflect poorly upon the gospel. I want to honour God and I want to, in this world, I want to, whatever way I can, have an impact for the gospel. And that's just not the words I speak, but it's how I act and actually how I dress. Now, why I know it's how, it's how you dress is because of this fascinating passage in 1 Peter 3, which is written, it particularly addresses women with unbelieving husbands. Okay, so it's like mission in your own family context. How does the wife of an unbelieving husband most helpfully go about mission? And what does it say? Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your husband so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words in this context, interestingly, by the behaviour of their wives. When they see, notice, the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty, so it's talking to this wife, how does she you know, helpfully sort of enhance the gospel at home with her husband? Well, your beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment, elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold jewellery, fine clothes, rather your inner self, the unfading beauty. So it's saying to this, this woman in that context... Actually, how you think about yourself, like obviously the inner self, but even not just sort of an inappropriate sort of emphasis on beauty, will help win your husband, is what it's saying. Now, I know from friends uh, married to unbelievers that uh, this can be tricky if your husband wants you to flaunt your sexuality a bit more, if his worldview is such that he's... But it's saying basically that there is something about how we present ourselves, and in that context it's very important for her to in whatever way, the purity and reverence of her life is part of her mission to her husband. Very important. Now, you would say, you could say this, well, come on, die. We want to fit in with our culture. If I want to enhance mission, do I, don't I want to, you know, my non-Christian friends at work and at school, don't I want to be able to connect with them as best as possible and fit in with them? And that's going to involve how I, I dress, yeah? I don't want to look like a complete dag. Yes. Okay. There's no sort of Amish ghettoism that we sort of go, okay, we're Christian, we're happy, let's just hang out together. We can wear whatever we want and forget about the world. It's not like that, okay? We do want to fit in with culture. But I think as a general rule, we will always be at least a step behind of the edge of culture because the edge of culture in a fallen world will always push places that are not modest. No matter what generation, and the moment we're seeing it, woo, everywhere, but it will always push places that are not necessarily where God wants us to go. So to think that I can stay on the edge and be as edgy and as fashionable as whatever the leading edge is, I think is kidding myself. We'll often be a step back from that. And in some cultures, we might even be quite a few steps back. Okay? So we do want to... You don't want to look like you're out of place. And, and, you know, some of you, if you're in a, in a particular workplace, if you work at what it was Anne Hathaway's Runway magazine, yeah, you've got to sort of look a certain way. But we're kidding ourselves if we think... I think sometimes we kid ourselves... Oh, 
I've got to buy these clothes, I've got to look this way because it'll be good for mission, but actually I just want it for myself. Example, there's a lovely new Christian at church who's a um, brand new Christian, like it's an unbelievable story. She pulled her kid out of scripture at school because she was an atheist and didn't like what was being taught. But in God's kindness, the kid, the beautiful little girl, wanted to come to church. Kept saying, I want to go to, I want to hear more. So her mum with integrity brings her to church as an atheist and over time thinks, I really like it here. And she becomes a Christian and now her husband has too. That's the last year. Anyway, why why am I telling that? Because this woman is beautiful, right? She's gorgeous in so many ways. And she does dress, she's just blessed by, she often looks very beautiful and she knows how to dress well. But the woman who basically was paramount to her conversion at school, kept talking to her, is I would say a very ordinary Christian woman, you know? (laughs) But she said, when she was describing her, she said, when she, this woman, she said, I just admired her uh, sort of gentleness and consistency. So there's, there's, from that non-Christian, she's saying, I looked at this Christian woman and I didn't go, oh, she doesn't scratch up to, you know, fashion code like me. She noticed her godliness, her good deeds. And that is what enhanced the mission. So I'm not saying don't fit in with culture, but remember we're often, we're often going to be a bit behind if culture's pushing places that God doesn't want us to go. Thirdly then, <laughs> we want to honour God, we want to enhance mission. Thirdly then, we want to love people. And I think it's important that we think in terms of both men and women in just how we think about, um, you know, dressing helpfully. This is an area of wisdom. I'm not going to have a verse I can quote you on this, but I think it's generally true that men are visually stimulated in how they think about themselves and, and, and relationships. There is a visual stimulation. And so even though it's true, you know, the whole spectrum, you know, of course every man's different, and even though it's true that pornography, unfortunately, is changing the women th- way the women think, so we're starting to think more visually, and even though it's true that women are not responsible for men's thoughts, you can't blame, you know, she wore that, so there's no excuse for how he... Not at all. Men are responsible. However, as Christians, it is loving, to the extent we, have, we can, to not provoke sexual thoughts more than we have... Like, we're women, okay? So, of course, we relate in this way, but to not consciously provoke sexual thoughts, which the world is telling us. If you can flaunt it, do it, but that is not Christian thinking. So in youth group, when the, the, the guy gets up and says, look, it helps to the girls, you know, it helps if you don't wear those really short shorts or this particular leggings or whatever, instead of writing that off as, how can he tell me if I want to wear it, it looks good on me, instead of sort of wanting to sort of go, how dare he say that? No, we need to listen to our Christian brothers and say, in kindness, if I can help them, then that is part of our Christian thinking in how we dress. And I think it's very important to teach young girls. But it's not just men that we should be thinking about. I think it's also women. And that is because we are... Our ability to sort of want to compare ourselves with each other is very strong. There's this book called Compared to Her, which I love. And she says that we basically... We all suffer from a disease called CCS, which is Compulsive Comparison Syndrome. Okay, and she says basically women, the way we relate, we tend to, without knowing, we, we, two things. We either think about another woman, we think, mm, I wish I had her, or I'm glad I don't have her. <laughs> Every woman we meet, we sort of size ourselves up, you know, I wish I was her, or well, glad I'm not. And anyway, what's interesting in this book, right, it's on comparison generally for women, but out of her first eight examples, I think three or four of them are about clothing, 
because I think that's a very easy one where we sort of size ourselves up um, compared uh, to other women. Um, and so I think part of the way we think about how we dress, and particularly in church, is we don't want to keep raising the bar. So I think what we do is you think, I don't have to be top of the, I don't have to be the top dresser, right? But I certainly don't want to be the bottom dresser. I want to be somewhere in the middle. But we all think that, and so without knowing it, sometimes whole church cultures can slightly increase up. And without knowing it, you know, especially, you know, there's, I'm one of my friends, she's just beautiful Italian, and she dresses amazingly, and I think without knowing it, everyone starts trying to sort of keep up with her. Now, what does that mean? Should she dress daggly? I'm not necessarily saying that, but I'm saying just, we've got to realise that it has effect on both men and women, and just be aware of that, I think, in how we relate as Christians. So, point four in your outline to finish. How do we learn to dress modestly? How do we learn it? I do think critically it's about modelling. You know, that when you're in a Christian fellowship, you, you start admiring Christian women around you, older Christian women, and you, you, without knowing it, you learn, sort of, if you've been in a bit more edgy world, you just learn, ah, oh, over time, that's sort of what a Christian woman looks like, okay? So I think we do learn it by modelling, and therefore in a Christian household is a critical place that that happens. But let me say three things. First of all, it's not about socks and sandals. Like, I mean, unfortunately it often is, but look, it's a stereotype to think that somehow we would all look uniform and not, like, there's a uniqueness. There should be a wonderful uniqueness about how we, we look and are, like, just who, who we are. We should all look different. And I think it's important that we look feminine, like, that we are, we are feminine, <laughs> okay? To, to want to dress modestly and to say, I don't want to sort of unhelpfully provoke sexu- my sexuality with men is not to say that we somehow... Um, like, like we're a burqa, like we sort of cover it all up as if somehow unisex is what God wants. You know, Christians should all look unisex because we shouldn't be able to tell men or women apart. That'll help, you know. It's not that at all. Like there's something appropriate about looking a woman. Like, I wish, you know, that should be, but we just have to be careful with that edge of, you know, what does that look like and when, we're, when are we sort of crossing over into sort of, um, yeah, provoking in a way that's not helpful. My, my uh, sister-in-law is a good example of this. She's a Christian, she's a fashion designer, and seriously, she always looks great. But I would say about her, she just dresses simply and modestly. Like there's a sort of simplicity, a dignity about her, and certainly when you talk to her, you never get a sense. Like I never look anything like her. I know that. At lunch, I think, oh, I'll look at Morsey, but I never feel judged by her. So if you're someone who does, who's got, God's given you that sort of... You do just dress beautifully... It's really important that every woman who talks to you still feels comfortable and there's that sense that you're just really careful that, yes, I might look this way, but I always want other women to feel comfortable. It's very important. Secondly, any discussion about how we dress reveals our insecurities because it's very personal. And I think it does challenge where we find our worth. So sometimes the challenge for us is, I don't want to change because it's so part of how I'm thinking about myself. So a quote here is, A woman said, when choosing what to wear, I, this is in her past, she said, I thought only of what would flatter me, what would bring more attention my way and what most resembled the clothes I saw on models or other stylish women. I wanted to be accepted and admired for what I wore. I enjoyed my attire, the undue attention I received and the way it stimulated my feelings. So I'm just saying, if that's you, just be careful. You know, it can be part of our self-esteem. But sometimes um, that's worth addressing and just thinking about um, what God would want. Finally then, and in conclusion, modesty, I think, comes from our heart. See, that's what 1 Timothy says. It says, 
I want women to dress modestly. Okay, that sounds like a command. But then he goes on with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds. So interesting, he swaps the discussion from the outside, dressing modestly, to now the inside. But both are there. But look at how it finishes. He says, this is appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So that is the starting point, our heart, that we want to worship God and please teach me, Lord, what that looks like in every area of your life, including how I dress. If I need to change, please, Lord, teach me. And that is vital in how we talk about it, either in women's ministry or youth ministry, that we don't end up in legalism. The unchurched kid who comes looking like, seriously, gone the whole hooker look thing, should not feel like she doesn't fit in. And unfortunately, sometimes we're teaching our young youth, sometimes we teach them, you know, what God wants, and that's fantastic, but sometimes they flip over into then not knowing how to cope when that kid's looking very different and they think, well, she shouldn't be wearing that. Well, yeah, but first of all, teach her, teach her Christ and, and, and love her and, you know, make her feel so welcome. She's probably feeling a bit, whoa, do I fit in here as well? And we really want, it comes from the heart, knowing Christ that would then issue in any of these decisions. So modesty comes from a desire to honour God, a desire to enhance mission, and a desire to love people. How does a woman discern the sometimes fine line between proper dress and dressing to be the centre of attention? The answer starts in the intent of the heart. A woman should examine her motives and goals for the way she dresses. Is her intent to show the grace and beauty of womanhood? Is it to reveal a humble heart devoted to worshipping God? Or is it to call attention to herself and flaunt her beauty? Or worse, to attempt to allure men sexually? A woman who focuses on worshipping God will consider carefully how she's dressed because her heart will dictate her wardrobe and her appearance. So I've probably got time for a couple of questions now and then Zoe's going to um, lead us in prayer. So shall we... Excellent. Okay, so, um, yeah, either on this or, boss, or stuff we've been talking about this morning or obviously where is, I've had a mental break, a lovely in, uh, interview this morning with Sue. So anything sort of we want to ask. So have we got any questions? Wow, it's either really clear or completely irrelevant or I don't know. But <laughs> no, <laughs> we're just too tired. Any any particular questions? We'll start here. Thank you, Margaret. Ah, uh, yeah. It was a little... It was meant to be a clever little bit of... Um, what was it? Um, what do you call that? When it rhymes, yeah. No, <laughs> to make it memorable. Um, I said, yeah... Um, how God sees beauty, I think it's very important. It's not about your skin, that is the outside, but it's about sin, that is what is profoundly ugly to God. And it's not about being famous, that is what the world says is beautiful, but it's about being blameless. And I know that sounds a bit trite, a bit of, you know, a little bit of rhyming, but it's profoundly important, I think, that we do not see sin as ugly, I don't think. If a woman's beautiful, you think she's got it, she's got it all done, and if she's a bit harsh or a bit critical, oh, well, no big deal. But sin is ugly. Who cares if she looks beautiful? Sin is what is ugly. And the woman who is not, for whatever reason, does not present as, you know, on the pecking order of life as beautiful, if she is kind, she's beautiful. 
and she should feel she should I mean that was what we should be commending in our fellowship you should know in our Christian fellowship if you act with love towards people then know that God sees that and absolutely admires that and 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 that's pleasing to him but I think as women we should also be commending that and encouraging that and now hopefully then the generations below us um, pick up that as what is really beautiful in a woman so thanks Margaret I'll shop the back. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, thank you. That's a very helpful point. So the point is, um, the way we dress, you'll be also be thinking about the effect on other cultures. Now, there's a sense you have to pick a culture, don't you? That is, you can't just flip necessarily, um, you know, living in Australia, especially, say, a city like Sydney is, is very multicultural. So you couldn't, you know, get in the train to work. You can't go, oh, at the moment I'll wear this and then I'll swap to... Like, you can't fit in with every culture in the sense and that's sort of okay. But if you um, are trying to particularly relate to a certain culture and that, like, obviously um, any of our friends that go um, to work in a predominantly Muslim area or a Muslim country absolutely change... I think in even Sue's photo in our booklet of in China, it seems like, I don't know where Sue is, but definitely they, you were wearing, um, yeah, some sort of Chinese outfit. I'm not sure if that was intentional or just part, but yeah, there's a sort of a, is that right? Yeah. In traditional, yeah. So it might not be as important in Chinese culture, but definitely, that's right, modesty is seen very different, say, in the Islamic faith. Now, there's something about, um, yeah, like the, the Muslim person at work is not expecting you to somehow start wearing head covering, but um, so it's not that we somehow will do what they do, but then, and help, that's right, we, um, yeah, like a whole lot of cleavage and everything else is just sending out the message, far out, what? What is your, you, you know, and, that, and, that, and politically in the media, that's often why um, at a big scale, we used to be part of a Muslim church for a couple of years, so the, the girls would say there, the Iranian women, that, um, you know, Australia is seen as a, as a Christian country. I think decreasingly is that really the case on the ground. But let's just say, from their point of view, growing up in Iran, they see uh, Australia as a Christian country. And then they see this most, the sort of Miley Cyrus sort of, presentation of you know what, what it is to be a woman in Australia and they think yeah that's not they think that's Christian now they're joining the dots the wrong way like Miley at that point is not a model Christian right that's not what but for in their world view the two things are connected Christian country supposedly that sort of stuff so yeah I think there's a whole lot of us increasingly as multicultural you know country just sort of working out what that looks like and you know there is the thing in 1 Corinthians um, where it talks about meat sacrificed to idols and there is an example in that culture where I am totally free to eat whatever meat I want. But Paul is saying in a certain context, in that, in that situation for the conscience of a weaker Christian, but he's making the, the policy that you can be totally free to do something and choose not to do it if it would be better for mission. And so, yes, increasingly, if we, I don't know, if a whole, a whole suburb changed around you, you might choose to sort of even something you think is totally fine to go a little bit more modest maybe, for the sake of mission. Um, but, you know, that's sort of something I think on our heart. You just keep trying to work out, um, yeah, what that would look like. But that's a very interesting point, the cross-cultural thing. Um, thank you. Very, very helpful.
Are we ready to... Is that enough? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Exactly. But really, that's the order. You know, honouring God relationally is our absolute first priority. Enhancing mission, like, wow, that's, I mean, he hasn't come back yet. That's what 2 Peter 3 says. The, is God slow in keeping his promises? Like, why isn't he here? And he says he is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient with you, wanting more people to repent. That's, that's where we're at. <laughs> so really, you know, he can come back tomorrow, but... If he doesn't come back tomorrow, it's because more people to repent. And so whatever we can do, you know, our language, our whatever it is about us, we want to maximise how we can uh, enhance mission. Now I think Zoe is going to come up and pray for us. Thank you very much. All right, let's go to God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our bodies, that you have created each one of us unique that, and you have redeemed us and our bodies with the precious death of your Christ, of your son Jesus. And we just thank you so much for his blood that has purified us. Um, help us to honour our bodies, um, or to honour you with our bodies. Help us to be wise in how we live in our culture um, to dress in ways that honour you through um, enhancing mission, um, through loving all people, men and women, and especially um, young girls around us, Lord, in our youth groups and people we come across in the world. Help us, um, yeah, be like what I was saying, model um, your, the honour that you want us to live, Lord. Please help us not to be enslaved to trying to attract attention from men or trying to keep up with other women. Help us know our worth is in you, Lord. And most of all, help us dress in good deeds to have unfading beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which is of, your, which is of great worth in your sight. Change our hearts to honour you, to be anchored in you. Thank you for washing us clean, for giving us a changed wardrobe, Lord. Um, and help us put on love. Amen.